0: Fantastic. All right. So, this morning, we're continuing our series through Colossians called Primary Christianity. And so, I just want to remind you of the example that we're using to help you understand this. You know, just like, you know, hopefully we have this down now, just like red, yellow, and blue are the primary colors so that all other colors can exist. So, Jesus is primary, and from him, everything else exists. And that's not just true theologically, it's true about your life and it's true about every aspect of your life. And so as we continue to see who Jesus is in Colossians, you got to remember that learning who Jesus is and what he's done is the essential reality from which everything else flows about your life. So this is so important. It's essential. In light of that, I, I, wanted, I want you to finish this phrase for me. You probably know it's a common phrase. Here it is. It's not what you know, but who you know, who you know, who you know all right? That's the phrase. It's not what you know, but who you know that changes everything about your life. So, you know, there are particular places that I can't get into on my own. There are, you ever go in the airport, you know, and there's these special rooms for special people at the airport where instead of sitting with all the other people and all the things that they're doing, uh, if you have a particular card for certain things, you can go to these special VIP rooms. They have snacks. There's only five people in there. There's private bathrooms. It's amazing, you know? There's these special rooms at the airport and I just walk by them. I think, huh, must be nice. Must be nice to go to this special room. Or, you guys know in hotel rooms, there's special floors for people who have certain cards that can get to this special floor. And at this special floor, once again, there's just food, there's snacks, everybody's hanging out, having a good time. There's coffee, all kinds of coffee you want. There's these special places. Now, when I have traveled by myself, I have zero ability to get into these special places on my own. Uh, I don't have the card. I don't have the access. I don't have the money. I don't have any of these things, but I can describe them to you because I've been there because I've traveled with people who have access to these particular things, all right? If I go with someone who has the frequent flyer card, who's flying around billions of miles, I have now access to the special VIP rooms. I can walk in there like I own the place. I go upstairs to the, you know, 12th floor in the hotel, the floor that you can't get into with your regular hotel badge. You have to have an extra elite member badge to get up to this floor. When you get up to this floor, it opens up. The angels are singing. It's glorious. It's wonderful. I say, ah, it must be nice, you know, and I walk in. I, I always deal with this reality on the inside of me that I know I'm an imposter, you know? They don't know that, but I know that. I know that. I don't belong here. I didn't get here on my own, uh, but I got to walk around like I did, you know? Like, I've done this a million times. Like, I know exactly what you're supposed to do when you're in a place like this, you know? You're like, do you order things? Do you have to talk to people? I know how this goes. Uh, so this is the reality, though, that I get access to these places with great benefits, not because of necessarily what I know or what I have, but because of who I know. And this particular person can give me access to things I can't get on my own. Well, the same thing is true, but times a million with Jesus. That Jesus is the person that we must know that then being in relationship to him gives us access to every other good thing. All the benefits of what we are supposed to have in creation are connected to knowing Jesus. So really an important question for you this morning is do you know him? Do you know him? And if you do, are you taking advantage of the rights and the privileges of knowing Jesus? Are you taking advantage of the benefits? Or are you still walking around the airport with nowhere to go when you could be in the VIP room, you know, hanging out? Are you taking advantage of the benefits of what Jesus has for you? Not benefits necessarily materially or in this world, but the benefits of a happy soul and a consistent faith. And so go ahead and open your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. Let's go, all right. We're gonna see from Colossians chapter one what we qualify for, all right? So the message is called qualified. And the reason for that is being qualified for these benefits is not about what you know, but who you know. And in a world where you're trying to build qualifications to earn certain privileges, the kingdom of God works exactly opposite of that, where the privileges of the kingdom are given to you they're not something you earn on your own. You don't build qualifications to be, have the benefits of Jesus. And so we're going to see from Colossians 1 how this works. What does it look like to be qualified for these benefits? So Colossians chapter 1, verse 11 through 14. And we're just going to have these three, four verses. It says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So this is the final segment of his prayer, and now he switches to praise. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We're going to stop there. And before we keep moving, I just want to remind you, sometimes I got to throw this out there that preaching is a group project, all right, all right? It's a group project, all right? The more, the better you talk to me, the better I talk to you, okay? So don't leave me alone up here. If the Lord stirs something in your spirit, say it, okay, all right? Just join with me here, that'd be great. Okay, so I want, to, I want you to see this passage, how important this is, these connecting dots. So there's a huge connection here between what you qualify for in Jesus and how that helps you live now. A way you could say it is there's a big connection between what Jesus has done for you and how you are doing. See, what Jesus has done for you and how you are doing. You're gonna see this played out because there's two segments of this passage. Paul closes his letter, Now, this this part of his letter. So it's introductory. So verses one through 14 are his introductory remarks. So he's introducing things, he's saying thank you and he's giving them a prayer. Then he's gonna get into his theology about Jesus in verse 15, which is next week. He's introducing himself. So this is the close of that. So he has one final thing he wants to pray for and he prays for strength. And then he has one final thing he wants to praise, which is the good news of the gospel. And these two things go hand in hand. You're going to see this together. What the reality is, when you look at this passage, he's praying for strength. We all know that we need strength that's more than we can supply on our own. We all have things that we're fighting through that we need endurance. You need patience. Definitely you want joy. You have situations in your life that bring about sadness. You have people in your life that require patience, patience. You have things you're fighting through that require endurance. You have weaknesses that require strength. And these things Paul's praying for, the very things that we need, but he makes them available to us through what Jesus has already done for us. This is essential for you to understand what's happening here in the passage. Look at this. It seems to be, this is so important for your life, okay? You have to hold on to this. There is a way, there is a possibility to be a person of great joy even in the midst of great difficulty. Look what he says. I and mean, this is a passage I just text people a lot and I pray a lot. He says, for all endurance and patience, there's this phrase, with joy. Wouldn't that be wonderful? There's a way to be a person who's happy in the midst of great difficulty. That is possible because this is what the Bible, this is what Paul is praying for. There is a way to endure life and also enjoy life. There is a way. This is possible, and instead of this idea that you just have to grit your teeth and bear it, you know, I'm going to get through this, you know. I'm going to be nice to this person, you know. I won't be angry. Like, you are angry already. You are angry. Instead of gritting our teeth, just getting through it, surviving, not thriving, there's this reality here that we can face extreme difficulty and still find real happiness and joy. That there's a way to do that. And what I want to help you do is lock into that this morning. And the way that you do that is not what you know, but who you know. If you have the right person, you can access the right places. So if you're connected to the right person, even if your flight gets delayed, you can sit in the VIP room. You see what I'm saying? Even if things are difficult, you can still be a person of great joy. That's what Paul is finally praying. That's what he wants to give you this morning. That's what he wants to give me. And it's, it's gonna be connected to what Jesus has already done. So there's these two parts of the passage. So the way I'm gonna try to pull these two together, I've described it like this, you can write this down, is that we can have a happy consistency in difficulty because we have a happy reality eternally. Okay, just taking the, the la- these two chunks of the passage, the prayer and the praise, and it says basically this. You can have a happy consistency in difficulty. A happy consistency, meaning that you can endure and you can do it with joy, even in the midst of difficulty. How can I do that? Because I have a happy reality eternally. There's something that Jesus has done for me and something that he's supplying to me now that is so significant that it outweighs any possible difficulty I face on earth. That the thing I have in Jesus is greater than the thing I could lose anywhere else. This is the reality he's going to present to us today. And so we're going to deal with them in two parts, a happy consistency in difficulty and then a happy reality eternally. So the first one here is a happy consistency in difficulty. What does that look like for us? Well, he mentions here five character qualities that make someone able to do this. What what does it look like to endure with joy? The five character qualities he mentions here are strength, endurance, patience, joy, and thankfulness. These are the five things he's gonna be praying and acting out over over his people. So we're just gonna go through them one by one. The first one is strength. Verse 11 says, "'Being strengthened with all power "'according to his glorious might.'" This is so important. Look, being strengthened with all power "'according to his glorious might.'" So all power, he uses the word all like five or six times just in this section. It's a very important word for Paul in this because he's trying to get at the reality. All power means all kinds and various kinds of power. Meaning, if I need mental strength, Jesus can supply it to me. If I need physical strength, Jesus can supply it to me. If I need emotional strength, Jesus can supply it to me. If I need spiritual strength, Jesus can supply it to me. If I need relational strength, Jesus can supply it to me. Wherever I am weak, Jesus can supply the strength that is needed. This is the reality of what he's praying. You're strengthened with all power according to who, According to his glorious mind, according to who he is, according to his capacity to deal with things, according to his wisdom, according to his strength, that's what gets supplied to you and to me. Here's the way I want you to think about this biblically, is that strength is not a workout, it's a work in. Strength is not a work out that you do to get stronger. It's a work in that Jesus provides by himself. Strength is not something you work out to get stronger at in the kingdom. You certainly have a role. You have things you need to do. You have an active participant. You need to be an active participant. Strength is something God works in, which is why we're connecting these dots all the time to say, as I behold Jesus, as I love Jesus, as I know Jesus, as I grow with Jesus, getting stronger becomes a byproduct of getting closer to him. If I want to get stronger, I got to get closer. And so often, you and I, especially in the new year, you're trying to get stronger through different habits, which isn't necessarily bad, but the way you get stronger in the kingdom is to get closer to the king. It's not about what you know. It's not about how strong you are. It's about who you know and what that person can do. So you need to get closer to the one you need to know. Strength is not a workout, it's a work in. We're able to do things because God is able. You can say it this way. I want you to think about it this way for your life. We talk about endurance and strength. Here's a phrase. They say, I can be stable because God is able. And just let that, that's one, you just need to say that over your life every day. You know, I can be stable because God is able. I can be stable. I can keep going. I don't have to be too high or too low. I can take the next step. I don't have to freak out. I don't have to give up. I can be stable. Because I'm strong? No. Because I know what to do? No. Because I know how this is going to work out? No. But because God is able. Because I trust him, and now I'm working with his power within me. It's his power supplied that's my strength. You see how this works? Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Which means that the power I need is not a power I can supply to myself. It's not a power I can get for myself. It's a power that has to be given to me by God. It's his glorious might. I don't need my glorious might or your glorious might or the, my friend's glorious might or my boss's glorious or my professor' might. I don't need any of these people's strength. I need the strength of God to be supplied to my life. And so if I want to get stronger, I have to get closer. But the strength that is supplied to us is the strength that enables us to endure but it's God's very strength for us. So now we have to imagine in your own life when you're facing difficulty, you don't have to worry so much or or be so knocked down because you say, okay, okay, what's what's happening right now in this moment? If you're a Christian, you have Jesus living in you. One of the things that's happening in the midst of your difficulty is that God is supplying the strength that you need to deal with it. He's actively supplying it. It's there. It's only a matter of whether you're taking advantage of it. You have access to the room, but did you go in, is the point. And so he's saying, this is coming to you. So God's ability now becomes your ability. God's wisdom becomes your wisdom. God's strength becomes your strength. God's knowledge becomes your knowledge. You see, God is the one who knows what to do and the one who can sort it out and the one who has capacity to handle it. And what he wants to do is infuse who he is into you. And he wants to supply to you the strength that he has for you so that you can handle the situation in front of you. This is the strength that God wants to give, that he makes available in connection to Jesus Christ. Which is why, once again, it's not what you know, but who you know. And if you want to get stronger, you've got to get closer to Jesus. Okay, so say this over your life, okay, every day. I can be stable because God is able. You feel like you're about to freak out? Just, whew, I can be stable. Not because I don't want to freak out. Not because I'm not scared. But because I know my God is able. And I trust him. And if he hasn't failed me yet, he's not going to fail me now. And that's what I go to and say, I can do this. Not because I can do it, but because he's doing it in me. All right? I can be stable because God is able So strength, that's the first thing supplied. And then the next two, I'm gonna put these together, endurance and patience. So the next part of the verse says, for all endurance and patience. And remember, these are things you qualify for in connection to Jesus Christ. These are things available to you, to keep using the metaphor, they're the VIP rooms. These are the access, the benefits that you get when you're connected to the right person, Jesus Christ. And therefore, it is so important that you be connected to him through faith and that you realize how much you need him to access any of these things in your life. So you have strength, and now you have endurance and patience. This is important. So endurance, I'm just going to get into what these things are first. Endurance is internal. It's a commitment to keep going. Patience is external. It's how you behave towards others when suffering. So endurance is internal. It's a, an internal commitment to keep going, an internal resolve. Patience is external. It's how you behave towards others when you're suffering or in difficulty or when you're annoyed or any of those things. A way you could say it this way, you could, you could write this one down. It might be, might be simpler and clearer. Endurance is continuing under difficult circumstances. Patience is staying calm with difficult people. You better not laugh, because you, you, so you're a difficult person for somebody in the room, you know? You laugh, but you're the person somebody else is laughing about right now, you know? I <laughs> said, I lost it. You're the person, you know? We all, we all, we have difficult people, and we are the difficult person, okay? All right, nobody be up here like, yeah, those people in my life. No, 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 don't do that. You are one of those people to somebody else. We have difficult people, and we are difficult people. You want to know why? Because we got sin. We're sinners. Sinners make us being sinful makes us difficult. It makes us hard to work with and it makes others hard to work with. So endurance, why does he pray for endurance and patience? Endurance, once again, is continuing under difficult circumstances. Patience is staying calm with difficult people. I'm gonna read you this this paragraph from this commentary. I just thought it was very helpful. He says, endurance is the capacity to continue under difficult circumstances. Generally in scripture, the word refers to events of life which must be endured. On the other hand, patience is a state of emotional calm in the face of provocation or misfortune without complaining or irritation. The provocation usually comes from other people. These two ideas work together. Neither circumstances or people can upset the person who walks in the will of God. Because divine power is available to those who know Christ. You hear this? He says, neither situations or people can upset the person who walks in the will of God, who is connected to what we just talked about, the strength available in Jesus. Can you imagine living a a type of life where situations didn't affect you and people didn't drive you crazy? Amen. You say, Lord Jesus, I would just be free. I'd be a free man. I'd be a free man. Say, whoa, P. situations don't knock me down and people don't drive me crazy. Yes, it's possible, but only in connection to Jesus. You can't do it, but he can. And so a way I want you to think about this, about endurance, is you say it this way. I can, we endure by, not by grit, but by glory. Think about this way. We endure not by grit but by glory. I don't endure by gripping my teeth, or you know, watching these people learning about how they talk about, you know, running marathons or doing different things, just grit, you just deal with it, it stinks, you gotta deal with it, which is true. But don't apply that to the kingdom. I don't endure by grit and by gritting my teeth and using my willpower to muscle through this situation. I don't do that. That's how you burn out, it's how you crash. That's how you sin. That's how you go into temptation. I don't do that. That's not how the kingdom works. We don't endure by grit, but by glory. I connect myself to the glorious realities of knowing Jesus. I receive through the word of God and prayer and church and other Christians. I receive their ability to deliver to me the goods that Jesus has. And by the glorious power of his might, I'm able to endure. I don't endure by grit, but by glory. Because listen how obvious this this makes sense. You say, okay, if it's God's power that gives me strength, of course I can keep going. God never runs out of energy. God never says, huh, I'm so tired. And so if it's God's never-ending power running through my veins, then I don't need to give up. I get tired, but he doesn't. It's not my strength, but his. His. It's not my energy, but his. To say, if God is never confused, and he always knows exactly what to do, even when I don't, I can trust his wisdom to sort out my circumstance. So I don't have to give in to confusion or anxiety. A God who is never confused is leading and guiding my life. And so now instead of being weak, I am strong. Instead of being confused, I have clarity. So this reality is like, of course I can, of course. Of course I can do it because God's the one doing it for me and he can do anything. You need to have this mindset. Of course I can keep going. Giving up's not an option because God never gives up. Of course I can handle this pressure. God's doing it. He can bear the burden, you know? It'd be like, It'd be like when I, when I, when my kids were in my, we're, the, we're in my little room in my house. We have these little weights or whatever, you know, and, and, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll do this. They'll, it's like, you know, eight pounds, you know, and they'll pick it up or try. Like my little girl the other day, she was getting in there and she was, it was like a 25 pound little kettle ball, you know? And she got in there while I was working out and she just grabs it, you know, and she looks at me and she goes, Aah! you know, and she's just doing this with her face. She's like, you know? She can't lift that thing an inch off the ground, you know, it's it's not moving. Uh, And I've been down. I just pick it up pretty simply, all right? And I'm not the strongest person in the world. I, I pick it up, and she's like, wow, you know, she's amazed, you know, which is great. They're still at the age where they think I'm a superhero, you know. They don't know that there's people who can lift more weights than that, you know. So daddy's the strongest person they know, which is great. You're like, yeah, you should be impressed. Be impressed right now never forget it you know so I lift it up with ease and you would say well of course of course that's easy for you hard for her easy for you because you have the capacity and the strength to pick it up you would be surprised way more surprised if I couldn't pick up something that light than if I can you say of course you should be able to pick that up and that's exactly how it is with God and we're the ones we're like my little girl just trying to hold on trying to pick up weights we can't pick up. All the while, the Lord is present with us saying, I can do that for you. I can do that in you. Of course he can. Of course he can do it. Of course I can do it because God can do it. A way you can say this is I can hold up because I'm being held up. Meaning, I can hold up under pressure because God's holding me up under me. God is the wind beneath my wings, you know. He's the strength of my life. And so I can hold up because I'm being held up. The strength that I'm using to bear this difficult circumstance is not my own strength but God's. And I can hold up because I'm being held up. So that's endurance and patience. The next two qualities are joy and thankfulness. Look at verse, uh, the end of verse 11 and 12. So he says, endurance and patience, and what afraid. These two words are like game changers. This is when you need to read the Bible slow. If you read this sentence slowly, you'd say, What did he just say? He says, Endurance and patience, and you throw these two words with joy. You think nobody talks like that? Nobody. Nobody. You don't get on there and watch people motivate you and they say, Do it with a smile on your face, you know? No. And stay happy while you do it. No. The, the idea is you just got to tough it out. It's part of life. Deal with it which is a half-truth, if you don't have Jesus. Everything changes when you have Jesus. So there's there's a world in which you can endure and exercise patience and stay the happiest person in the world. That world exists because these two words right here are in the Bible. With joy. This joy is connected to Thanksgiving. First, I want to show you, not just from this, say, okay, that's just, One verse, does it really mean that I can go through all this suffering and still stay happy? Well, let me show you. This is like the scriptures. I'm gonna give you four different scriptures about the connection in the scriptures between suffering and happiness. And I want you to see how different it is to know Jesus. Hebrews 10, 34 says, for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully, read read this. You read the Bible. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. You say, man, you were so happy when somebody broke into your house and stole your money. Woo! You know? You say, will somebody do that again? I'll get a new house and you can do it again. It makes me so happy. Take all my mama's jewelry, take my PlayStation, get out of it, you know, whatever it is. It says you you joyfully accepted the plundering of part. Why? I mean, what kind of crazy person would deal with that kind of suffering? And not just grit their teeth and bear it and say, well, the world's a tough place to live, but do it with joy. How is that possible? I mean, that's crazy. Only crazy people think like this. And look at this. It says, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Meaning that what I lost is not as great as what I got. So you can take it, because I always got Jesus. What I lost is not as great as what I got. And that allows me to stay happy and joyful because you can't take from me the one thing I need. Can't take it. Look at, look at this. James 1, 2 and 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, uh, when you eat ice cream with your children. No, when you meet trials of various kinds. Do you ever stop to think what the Bible is actually saying? You know, sometimes it's like Christianese. You read the verse, you're like, yeah, okay. This is crazy talk. Only cra- This is crazy. Be happy when things don't go your way. Hey, look at that situation that's breaking your heart and put a smile on your face. When you meet various trials, not the kinds that you can deal with, but the kinds you don't like. When you meet a trial emotionally and a trial relationally and a trial physically and a trial circumstantially and a trial inwardly and a trial outwardly. When you meet any kind of trial, look at it and say, joy, why? Why? I mean, people can't, you can't talk like that unless you have something different about your life. Look, at he says, why would I do that? Why would I be happy and joyful when things don't go my way. Verse three, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And what you'll learn in the Christian life, it is the trial and the the difficulty that brings about the test that forms my faith and that makes me more like Jesus and connects me closer to him, which is the very thing I wanted in the first place. I didn't follow Jesus for life to go well. I followed Jesus because I wanted Jesus. And if the difficulty brings me closer to Jesus, then I can be happy with it because that's what I asked for in the first place. So he's saying, "Look, you can be happy. This is only—you see how this is only possible with Jesus. If you don't have Jesus," You can't say, you can't count anything joy. That's all you got is the world. This doesn't make sense to you. Acts, let me give you another one. Acts Acts chapter five, verse 40. It says, when they called the apostles, they beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. They let them go. In verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council crying that they were beaten so hard. No. Then they left the presence of the council somber that life had gotten so difficult. No. Then they left the presence of the council, wondering if they could bear up under this kind of pain. No, 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 no. They left the presence of the council, gritted their teeth, and said, We could take it. No, no. What happened? They leave, getting beaten for Jesus, and they're, what's the word? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. For the name. Meaning that their connection to Jesus was so strong that they were happy to be treated like he was. It made them happy to think, well, if you treat my savior like that, I'll take it too. To say they were so connected to who Jesus is that they wanted to be treated like Jesus was treated. Obviously no one likes enduring this and no one wants and seeks after this. But then they realized as these things were happening that they were getting more and more connected to Jesus and that his name was worthy of suffering for. You'll see in verse 42, from that, there's a bunch of fruit. Every day in the temple from house to house, they do not cease teaching and preaching in Christ is Jesus. Okay, last one, Matthew 5. And I could do this all day. I could do two hours on this, okay? This is, done. I'm just giving you four. I could do a whole conference on Bible verses about being happy and suffering. But I'm not gonna do that now. But I wanna show you enough. This is just everywhere, all right? Matthew 5, look at this, verse 11. What a funny word. So blessed, you could translate the word blessed as happy. It's the same word. So when you read the Beatitudes, you can substitute the word blessed for happy. It's Markurios, it just means happy. You You can say blessed too, you can say it either way. But blessed or happy are you when other people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil things against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Once again, why? Crazy talk. Be happy when people slander your name. Be happy when people lie about your character. Be happy when people treat you in all kinds of evil ways. Why? Why? What's the verse? For your reward is great in heaven. Because the Father sees and the Father honors. And once again, you can't take the thing I got. You can, take, you can take my reputation, you can slander my name, you can't take away God's love from me. And he's saying, listen, I can rejoice in these situations. So those are just some examples of the Bible talking about endurance and patience with joy. It's connected to Jesus, which means you can't endure and be patient in life and do so with joy unless you have the supernatural resource of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to see how connected this is to Thanksgiving. So I put these two together, joyful and thankful, joy and Thanksgiving, because look at the passage, With joy, and then verse 12, giving thanks to the Father, he says. With joy, giving thanks to the Father. So the connection between joy and thanksgiving is important. So I want to help you now. Thanksgiving is like a a pathway that you can take to enjoy all the emotional benefits of following Jesus. You say, well, I can't force feelings. Of course you can't. But you can take pathways to those feelings. Okay? To those realities, to those deep soul realities and thanksgiving is one of them. So a way you can say it is this. The action of thanksgiving creates the attitude of joy. You see, the action of thanksgiving creates the attitude of joy. I can't force an attitude into my life. I can act as if it's true, and I can make a decision in that way to choose joy, but that's not nearly as powerful as having joy and it overflowing in my life. And it's the action of thanksgiving that creates the attitude of joy. If I maintain an attitude of joy, I do so through, through uh, intentional actions of thanksgiving. So listen, how easy this is. This is math, one plus one equals two. The more thankful I am, the more happy I am. It's that simple. It really is that simple. And even like neuroscience and just secular research on the way we think about our lives will tell you this also, which I love. Every time they learn something about the brain, I'm like, yeah, the Bible already said that thousands of years ago. Thanks for the information. <laughs> Thanks for that. Oh, you know, they say mindfulness. Yeah, we call that meditation. It's in Psalm 1. That was written thousands of years ago. Get out of here. You know, like, you're just showing me what Jesus already said. Thank you for that affirmation that God made the world, and he made people, and he knows what he's talking about. So Thanksgiving creates joy. The more thankful I am, the more happy I will be. Now, how does this work? You got to write this down as well, okay? Oh, this is one of those, I was going on a run the other day, and sometimes if I have enough of my sermon done by the time I'm on the run, these, these things come into my head while I'm running, you know? And I was like, I gotta write, I had to stop, and I had to get out my notes and write this down. This is how important I thought this was, okay? And now, I built it up too much, and you're not gonna be blown away by it, but it's affected me a lot. <laughs> it's affected me a lot, okay? Here's the, uh, thanksgiving connects what God has done to how I am doing, okay? You don't have to pretend like that was anything. <laughs> But this helped me a lot, okay? If you talk about what's impacted me most from the sermon, it's this. Thanksgiving connects what God has done to, what I, to how I am doing. Now, the, the, this is the issue for the Christian life. It's the gap between the reality of who God is and what God has done and how deeply my life is transformed by that. This is the gap, you know? This is what we struggle with because God is great. He's done something great. It's unbelievable. The gospel is such good news. Jesus has died. He's risen again. I am secure. I am saved. My life is set. My eternity is good. Jesus is living in me. He's working all things together for good. He takes the bad things that happen to me and he turns them all around. He's sovereign. He's my shepherd. He's leading and guiding my life. He loves me. Nothing can take his love away from me. He's so in control. He's the only God. You say, whoa, 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 all these things. And then over here, here's my mental state. It's like, oh, no, you know. Or I'm so sad. Or I'm struggling. And over here is the theological reality, man. God is sovereign. God is in control. God takes care of you. God loves you. God died for you. Heaven is yours. Heaven is long. Life is short. And you say, these truths, you're like, yes. But then over here, you know, Monday at 3 o'clock, I'm like, oh, you know. I said, "What happened to that? What happened to God being in charge of your circumstances? What happened to Christ being enough to fill you up with joy? What happened to heaven being so good that doesn't matter what happens on the earth. What happened to that? You know, those of you who are following Christ, you know this and say, "This is the biggest gap in my life. is knowing I am loved by God and then trying to find love in other places? You know, knowing that in God's presence is fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore, but going places I shouldn't to find pleasure and joy. Knowing that God is leading and guiding my life and then over here trying to manipulate and control my circumstances because I'm anxious about the outcomes of my life. What What is the gap? Why am I so anxious if God is in control? Why am I choosing this sin if God can make me happy? Why am I so worried if God's leading my life? Why do I feel so unloved if God loves me so much? This is the struggle, it's a gap between who God is, what God has done, the good news of the gospel, and how that affects me Tuesday morning at eight o'clock. That's the gap. And literally, as a Christian, you're just over time trying to close the gap. And as you get older, prayerfully, the gap gets lesser and lesser, and the realities of who God is becomes something that overwhelms your everyday life. So how, this is the question of your life. How do I connect what God has done the good news of the gospel, the realities of who he is for me. How do I connect that to my emotional, mental, physical, relational experience? You know, Thursday at at seven o'clock at night or Friday night or Monday morning. How do I connect that when I wake up, just don't feel like getting out of bed? How do I connect that when I'm just really feeling bitter? I don't know how to get over this feeling. I just can't, I can't forgive this person. How do I connect that when there's division in in a relationship? How do I connect that when I just feel lonely? It's lonely, it's nine o'clock, and I'm on the verge of making a bad decision because I feel lonely. How, How, how do I bring this into this? That's the question of your life as a Christian. Now this is why this is so profound to me, is because the answer is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving connects, it's the string that connects the reality of who God is to how I am doing. And as I'm thankful, I'm mindful of these realities. So the more thankful I am, I have to be thankful for something specific. So to be thankful is to set your mind on something specific about God. You can't just... Be thankful, you know, it's to set your mind on something about God, his provision, his leadership, his guidance, his love, his patience, his kindness, his mercy, his grace, his faithfulness to you. And as I, as I fill my mind and my heart with these truths from the scriptures, they begin to, it's like, a. I wish I had it with me. It's almost like Thanksgiving is like a tug of war string, you know? And in my life over here, Wednesday at four o'clock in the afternoon, I'm pulling these theological realities into my day. And over there, you know, Sunday morning or Lighthouse, when I read my Bible yesterday or this morning, that's the truth I know. But it's disconnected from my feelings right now. It's disconnected from my choices. It's disconnected from my state in life. And how do I get that over here, Thanksgiving? And the more I'm thankful, the more I'm mindful of what God has done. And I'm bringing in God's faithfulness, God's love, God's sovereignty, the reality of heaven, God's goodness in my life, his ability to work out good from bad. I'm bringing all of that in and I'm connecting it to my emotional state right now. That's what Thanksgiving does. It connects who God is to how I am doing. And it allows me to close the gap between the greatness of who God is and the struggle of my everyday life. This is why these two go hand in hand. The more thankful i am the more happy i will be i had i was listening to a sermon the other day and the preacher it was one of these great I, mean, I love wish i could preach like some of these guys and, and he was going on this whole thing and the simple thing he said now through thanksgiving he said i have moved off of complaining avenue and i live on thanksgiving boulevard and i was like that's good that's good he said it better than me but it just stuck with me like Like, my residence is on Thanksgiving Boulevard. How can a Christian live on Complaining Avenue? And he's saying, listen, because of what Jesus has done for me, I have moved. My residence has changed. Y'all are saying amen more to something somebody else said than what I said. (laughs) Never going to mention someone else's sermon again. Never going to do that. I'm learning, I'm learning. Okay. That's a joke. That's a joke. All right. Finally here, so you have this, a happy consistency and difficulty. And as we close, it's this next section, a happy reality eternally. These two things are connected. So these are what I qualify for in Jesus. Now look what he says here. Inheritance. So inheritance, so the, the three things that are true about me that can make me happy is inheritance, deliverance, and forgiveness. So you have strength, endurance, patience, joy, and thankfulness, characteristics of a person that you can have in Jesus to keep going. And then the, the benefits, inheritance, deliverance, and forgiveness. These are the three things that you have access to when you know the right person, Jesus. So we'll just work through those. And we'll connect the dots. So inheritance. It says in in verse 12 here, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light? Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light? So first this word qualified, this is where the the sermon title really comes from, this idea that the the word qualified is what connects the first part of the passage to the second. It's I can endure, I can be thankful, I can have joy uh, because I'm qualified for these benefits. So you have these benefits and you have this lifestyle, but how can how can that be mine? Well, I have to be qualified for it. To be qualified is to be made fit. Paul alludes to this word uh, in like 2 Corinthians 3.6 when he says God has made us sufficient to be ministers of the gospel. It's to be made fit. It, it's to qualify for something. You guys know, like uh, you have to get a certain time in an event to qualify for the Olympics or to qualify for a race or to qualify for something like this. You have to get certain grades to qualify for certain schools, like... To, to have qualifications is to be made fit or to, to, be made, uh, to, be, uh, access, to have things accessible to you. Now, here's the thing in the kingdom. In the world, it's the best things that qualify you. So in the world, you're fighting with other people to be the best because it's the best of you that qualifies you for the best of the world. So more money, more success means more access. Now, In the world, it's what's best about you that qualifies you. In the kingdom, it's what's worst about you that qualifies you. The qualification of being God's child is that you're a sinner. The thing I bring to God that qualifies me for forgiveness is my sin. The thing that gets me access is first and foremost saying, I'm a sinner. I bring my mistakes and the worst things about me, and I say, yeah, that's true. Can't hide from it. Can't act like it's not a big deal. Don't have to put on a fake face. Say, yup, no, that's true. Said that, did that, felt that, knew that, blah, blah, blah. Should have done this, didn't do it. Shouldn't have done that, did it. And then God comes and says, you want to be forgiven? <laughs> And he offers us Jesus and his perfect life to take the place of our messed up sinful life. So he says, here's here's what you need to qualify for heaven. So, okay, you need to run a certain time to get to the Olympics, right? You need to have certain grades to get into Harvard. And the thing that qualifies you for heaven is to be perfect. The qualifications needed to get into heaven are perfection. And we don't have that. But this is the reality of what God does. He understands our sin and he doesn't ask us to overcome it ourselves or to do better or to go to church more or to serve more or to help people more or to give more money away. He doesn't do that because we can't possibly qualify ourselves. He sends Jesus. Jesus lives a perfect life. He never sins. Not a sinful thought, not a sinful feeling, not a sinful action, not a sinful word. He's perfect. He dies on a cross for my sins and he's raised from the dead. And then what happens in, when I believe in Jesus, this is one of my favorite things about the gospel, it's a resume swap. Jesus takes my sin and my bad qualifications, he nails them to the cross. And then he takes his perfect resume, his perfect life, his straight A's, and he gives them to me. And he says, treat it like it's yours. He says, my life is now your life. My resume is your resume. My grades are your grades. My money, your money. Like you have access, not because of you, but because of me. And listen to me, especially in D.C., you're running around trying to be successful, trying to qualify, it's stressing you out, and what I want you to know is the most important thing you need, heaven, in a relationship with Jesus, you qualify by being a sinner. It's the complete opposite. This is what Jesus wants to do for you today, is to give you grace and trust so that you would believe in him. Now, the issue is that sin is a prerequisite because we're all sinners, but sin must be forgiven, so the fact that we have sin is not a good thing. We qualify for hell because of our sin. We qualify to be separated from God because of our sin. But you take the prerequisite of sin, not my good works, give it to Jesus, let Jesus forgive and deal with my sin on the cross, and now my sin then gets redeemed and I qualify for heaven. This is the reality of the gospel. This is what he does. So the qualification you need is not earned by yourself. It's not by resume, but by relationship. Think about it that way. I have access because of someone else. Think about it this way. If uh, I said, hey, look, here are Taylor Swift's credentials. Give me that suite at the Super Bowl. You'd be like, well, you're not Taylor Swift. I'd say, here are Taylor Swift's credentials. Let me into the Super Bowl. Or you're applying to Harvard. Here's the valedictorian of my class. Here's their grades. Let me into Harvard. Or you would say, here's this person's credit score. Let me buy the house, you know. Here's this person's frequent flyer status. Let me into the VIP room. You say, what in the world? What? This is not yours, but this is exactly what it is of Jesus. You say, I, I go up before God and I say, here is Jesus' perfect life. Here is Jesus' death and resurrection. Let me into heaven. And God says, okay. He says, okay, I'll take what he did on your behalf. It's called substitution. Jesus does for me that which I cannot do for myself. I'm qualified. And get the, get the word here too. Qualified, the next word is delivered, the next word is transferred. Qualified, i.e. past tense, i.e. it already happened. It already happened. Turn to your neighbor and say, it already happened. Tell them, it already happened. I'm already qualified. I don't need to qualify. I'm already delivered. I don't need deliverance. I'm already transferred. I don't need a new home. I'm here. I'm present. God's with me. He loves me. I'm qualified. I don't have to earn your approval. I'm qualified. I don't have to get that job. I'm qualified. I don't have to get married. I'm qualified. I don't have to get this situation where I'm qualified. I'm delivered. I don't have to come out of this situation. I'm already delivered. You see how you begin to talk differently to yourself? I don't need to be somewhere else. I'm already where I'm supposed to be. I've been transferred. It already happened. It already happened. Just tell yourself that all the time. Everything I want in life has already happened to me in Jesus Christ. It already happened. When you're feeling discontent, say, it already happened. When you're you're feeling upset about a situation, say, it already happened, you know? When you're worried you can't get to where you want to go, tell yourself, it already happened. I'm already where I need to be. It already happened. I'm qualified, and I don't need you or nobody else to tell me that. I'm qualified. Jesus told me that. And you don't need anybody else to qualify you or to tell you you're worth something or to tell you you have a future or to tell you you belong. No, Jesus already qualified you. You belong. Why? Because Jesus said you belong. You have a future. Why? Because Jesus said you have a future. You matter. Why? Because Jesus said you matter. You qualified. You say I'm already qualified. I'm already delivered. I'm already transferred. What I lose is not greater than what I already have. You speak that over your life and you'll begin to see transformation. So you say I'm qualified and I'm delivered and I'm forgiven. 13, who's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to light? And in forgiveness, he says, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So I'm qualified, and I have this inheritance, this promise from God. The word inheritance is so important. Inheritance is something that's given to you, not something you earn. An inheritance is something someone else earned, they give to you, simply because you have a relationship to them. That's an inheritance. And this is what he's saying. You didn't earn nothing, but God's giving it to you because you have a relationship with him. And so now the thing you need the most is given to you. You have an inheritance. You have it because you're delivered. You've been delivered from darkness to the kingdom of the sun. And deliverance happens because you have forgiveness. So inheritance, deliverance, and forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins. So the way I want you to think about this as we close and I'll have the band come back up, I want you to close with this one final thought here. All of this is available to us through forgiveness. So let me give you this example and my real estate friends will know what I'm talking about. So imagine you're qualifying for a loan. You want to buy a house, and they look at your. What do they look at? They look at your record. They look at your debt. They look at your credit score to see if you qualify for certain housing. And uh, imagine they look at your your credit score, your debt, and say, "Well, your debt's too high. Uh, your record's not good, and therefore you don't qualify. You're not able to buy the house." This happens, and this is the reality in our life is the same is true in that situation. Our sin has accumulated a debt that keeps us from qualifying for our house in heaven. Our record is bad. It's really bad. There's very little good about it. It's really bad. We are not worthy of being trusted with anything good. Our record does not qualify us. Our credit score is bad. Our debt is high and we do not qualify. The only way to qualify for the home is if someone else was willing to sign on your behalf or willing to pay your debt. And if someone came along and said, I will pay all of your debt and I will give you enough money in the bank where you qualify, then your situation would change and you would be able to buy the house. And the same is true now for you and for me, is that this is exactly what has happened in Jesus. This is why you need forgiveness. Your debt is too high. You do not qualify for your home in heaven. But if your debt is forgiven and paid off and your record is blemishless because it's the record of Jesus Christ, then there is nothing that can hold you back from qualifying for your home in heaven. You need to be forgiven so you can qualify, and you need your record exchanged. You need someone else's credit score so you can get that house, and that's exactly what Jesus does. He comes along and says, here's my credit score, here's my record, and here's the debt that you need paid off for your sin, and in Jesus Christ, and in relationship to Jesus Christ, you can now qualify. This is what Jesus offers you, and this is what he wants to give some of you this morning. So I want you to go ahead and close your eyes, and I want you to consider now As we close, what Jesus is saying to you, I'm gonna invite the prayer team down front. And I want you to respond to God. If you need to turn to him and get your debt paid off by trusting in Jesus, the debt of your sin, so you can qualify for your home in heaven, you need to come pray, you need to respond to God. If you today need endurance and patience, strength and joy, come pray. Remember to continue with your body that which God is stirring in your spirit. Get prayer, kneel before the Lord and take these next few minutes to respond to God. And I'll pray and open that time. God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Thank you that by your grace we qualify. I pray, Lord, that in this moment you would connect the theological realities of our lives to the actual realities of our day-to-day existence. And that you would close that gap this morning. I pray for endurance for those who are struggling. I pray for strength for those who feel weak. I pray for joy for those who are in a pit of despair. I pray for every sinner in this room that doesn't know you, that they would believe and trust in you this morning, and that you would qualify all of us by your grace for your home in heaven. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's respond through.